0: There was always something wrong with Annie, for years it felt like I was the only one who knew. When we were kids we used to see our little cousins quite often. Our house, their house, my mom and aunt drank wine and bonded over having lost their husbands, my uncle in the grave and my dad in jail. Annie and I were much older than the other kids, but I'd still hang out with them, just to be safe and keep an eye on my sister. If I left her alone with them, someone would wind up hurt. One time, she'd stuck a clothespin on their cat and watched it run circles around the room. It was twelve. Another time, she'd pressured our youngest cousin to drop that same cat out the third floor window, mocking him for not wanting to do it. "'I can't believe you're actually scared,' I heard her say. By the time I got up there, my little cousin had let go. The cat was fine, thank God, but my cousin was not. He was traumatized, screaming and crying behind his bedroom door. Annie told mom that she was really sorry and that she'd learned in school that cats could survive such falls. It was all bullshit. Annie had never felt sorry a day in her life. But mom ate it up every time because Annie was her special little girl. After dad went away, our grandfather came over a lot to help mom out. Her dad, as we hardly knew my father's parents. I was very close with my papa. He was probably the person I looked up to most. The man was never in a bad mood. At least if he was, he never showed it. He brought something to that house that had long been missing. Music, dancing, laughter. He'd teach me things my dad never did, like how to ride a bike or tie a tie or, when mom wasn't home, how to use the power tools dad left dusty in the basement. It doesn't matter what we did. There was comfort in simply having him there, waking up every day to find him already sitting at the kitchen table, reading a paper, only to drop it straight away so he could cook me something for breakfast. Papa loved watching me eat almost as much as he loved telling stories. He'd given me this small military medal once and told me about how he'd almost died earning it. He said he wasn't much older than me when he got it. It didn't feel right to keep it, but he was happy to pass it down and even happier when he saw it pinned to my backpack the next day. Now you can take me with you when I'm in the ground. He laughed. He joked, but he knew. Knew that I'd need his guidance even in death. Papa may have been a jolly old Italian man but he was sharper than he looked. He knew something was very wrong with his granddaughter and knew that once he was gone, things were only going to get harder for all of us. Annie did nothing to hide her contempt for the relationship I had with Papa. He'd always looked on with a scowl. When Papa passed, she'd come into my room with bright eyes and said, are you sad Papa's dead? I screamed and told mom, but Annie pretended to be an ignorant child and my mother was in no place to deal with it. During the services, Annie watched me like entertainment. I tried my hardest to hold everything in, to not give her any satisfaction, and though it did simmer her attention, it only heightened everyone else's. People were apparently asking my mother what was wrong with me. The fact that I was looked upon with such scrutiny while Annie was unnoticed drove me insane, especially since the loss of my grandfather hurt more than anything. And when his medal fell off my backpack the following week, it crushed me further. I came home from school in tears, totally inconsolable. Despite my mother's attempts, Annie just sat there, looking amused. Who's going to watch over you now? She'd asked. I shoved her hard and mom grounded me. I thought about killing her that night. The effect Annie had on me extended even beyond her reach. There was this ever-present mistrust in my mind, this cancerous red flag that always waved. I'd spent my whole life watching my sister pretend to be something she's not, to the point that even the most innocuously feigned interaction turned me off. Like when a cashier asks you how you're doing and you say good and ask them back, but you don't care. They don't care. I worry that this was true for everyone, always, so I kept to myself and never made very many friends. Annie's reign of terror continued on into high school. I got to spend one year there without her and it was the best year of my life. I actually couldn't wait to go to school. Then she was a freshman and I was back to spending afternoons in the counselor's office. I never said much, and so Mr. Wilde treated me like every other anxiety-ridden student, offering me numerous breaks and check-ins. I didn't know how to tell him that I was terrified of my 14-year-old little sister, the sweet young girl that everyone was just now meeting. It hadn't taken her long to adapt to her new environment. He threw on that sheep's clothing and did what she does best, hide and hurt. She was smart about it, much smarter than when she was a kid. It was always just painful enough to scar her victims but simple enough to be overlooked by the rest of us. She'd date boys and break their hearts just to take them back and break up all over again. It looked like casual teenage drama, but I knew she was doing it for fun. She'd toe the line with her male teachers, keep her best friend feeling like shit about herself, and tell her other friends that I was abusive toward her. I fucking hated it, and hated more so the fact that I had to let her get away with it. If I pushed, she'd push harder. I had to keep myself out of her mind. Still, the thought of that stupid smirk as she soaked in the pain she'd caused me made me see red. Then, I met Miss Hardin, the school's new counselor. She'd seen how often I visited the restroom in the past and wanted to get to know me. I wasn't so receptive at first, but Harden never gave up on me. For weeks, I'd meet with her, and in time, I'd opened up. She seemed different. She didn't talk to me from any position of authority or with condescension. It felt like the person she was inside that room was the same person outside of it which meant more to me than she knew. My red flags went down, as they rarely had, so when she asked me one day what I was afraid of, I told her everything. Arden was intrigued, so I kept going. It all came spilling out of me and I couldn't stop. The release gave me relief I had never felt before, until Annie confronted me at my locker. What did you tell her? Arden had asked to meet with her and she was livid. I couldn't look her in the eyes, my five-foot freshman of a little sister, so I dug around my locker like I was looking for something. Nothing, I replied. I continued rummaging in hopes that she'd go away or that somebody else would come talk to us, but nobody around us paid any mind. Hell, it might have looked like a sweet moment between brother and sister. Then Annie slammed the locker onto my hand. I howled and cursed loud enough to freeze the entire corridor. Teachers came running out of their classrooms as students buzzed with confusion while those closer to me gasped and cried for help. I slid down the floor and crunched into a tight ball, holding my hand to my chest, afraid to look at it. Annie had already disappeared. I was lucky to have escaped with no worse than a bruise on the top of my hand. It hurt to make a fist, but it was better than a severed finger. Of course, Annie got in trouble with the school and mom, but what seemed to have bothered her most was the unraveling of the character she'd played for everyone. People were now talking, noticing things she never wanted them to notice, seeing her in a light she'd never wanted cast upon her. One of the upperclassmen called her a little ginger snap, and it caught on. She fucking hated that and it was only going to get worse. Harden was now looking to meet with Annie regularly, and Annie would soon discover that her usual tricks were no match for a trained professional. Someone was finally seeing through the feigned innocence, the tales of grandeur, the timely sob stories. Thus began the chess match. When Annie skipped on her meeting with Harden, Harden called home. When mom scheduled a joint meeting, Annie ate soap in the bathroom and made herself throw up. I was curious to see how long this battle would last. You just couldn't underestimate how far Annie was willing to go but I think she was smart enough to realize that any further resistance was just further evidence against her. I reveled in her misery the day she finally gave in. It wasn't long before Harden suggested my mother to take Annie to a psychologist. She explained to her how her daughter showed worrying signs of an antisocial personality. As ignorant and naive as my mother had always been, it was now undeniable. Annie was a real-life, near-diagnosable, manipulative little sociopath. Poor mom was beside herself, She cried and cried while pacing the kitchen with a cigarette in her shaking hand. She was at a loss, so she did exactly what was recommended of her. Annie was to be seeing the psychologist every week. Sometimes mom and I would join her. I had to hold my excitement over seeing Annie so uncomfortably vulnerable, the way she'd always made everyone else feel. She'd stare daggers at me during the sessions. I'd try my best to appear neutral, to be like her and not show any emotion or fear whatsoever, but it wasn't easy. Not even after the fake apology she gave me. She spoke no truth in those sessions, blamed her behavior on the absence of our father. Mom and the doctor deemed it progress, but not me. And Annie knew. Every time we got home, she'd shoot me this piercing glance before locking herself away in her room for the night. And only then could I finally breathe, though not for very long. I started sleeping with a damn knife under my pillow, just in case. If I started to feel ridiculous for doing so, I'd remind myself not to underestimate how far this girl was willing to go to get what she wanted. And right now, it felt like she wanted me dead. A few weeks passed. It was hard to tell if the behavior therapy was having any real effect on any. The psychologist assured my mother to give it more time, but mom was hysterical and impatient, so she did the worst thing anyone could do. She went online. She was up all night reading whatever bullshit she could find, from dietary treatment of personality disorders, quote, buy our special product, end quote, to early signs that your child is a serial killer. It was fucking crazy and it made my mother even crazier. That was when she found Dr. McKinnon. He ran some small, private practice down in Boston, a few hours south of us. His website touted him as an expert in psychology, with particular emphasis on treatment of personality disorders. There was also a link to a news article about the work he'd done with the FBI in catching the Bear River Killer, who he'd gone on to establish a relationship with in order to write the book he'd made sure to advertise on the website. Mom wrote to Dr. McKinnon, and he responded almost immediately promising that he could help with our situation. This man claimed to have invented a device that could alter the pathways in Annie's brain that made her the way she was and rewire them to function normally. For a hefty fee, of course. Praised and desperate, Mom didn't hesitate. Drove down that weekend, signed every waiver they threw at her, and scheduled surgery for the day after school broke for the summer. Just six weeks out. Even booked a hotel room for the few days Annie would be spending in recovery. I thought she was out of her mind for this, and even more so for believing Annie would just allow it to happen. They'd had a blowout when mom told her what she'd done. Why would you do this to me? Annie kept saying. You think there's something wrong with me? Yes, Annie, yes. It hurt my mother to say this, and hurt even more when Annie said, You raised me. I'm your daughter. She knew this was the very thing that would hurt my mom the most. I didn't raise you to act like this, mom shouted, tears in her eyes. Annie ignored her. "'I want to go to another school.' "'What? Why? What's wrong with your school?' "'Everyone thinks I'm crazy. Send me to St. John's.' Mom huffed. "'I don't have money for that, Annie.' "'Cancel the surgery.' "'It's either the surgery or I'll have you committed.' Mom snapped. "'Which one?' That shut Annie up faster than I'd ever seen, and off she went to her room. When she was gone, Mom released the sob she had been holding in as I awkwardly sat across the room, having just witnessed the whole thing. I felt bad, but was glad to see her stand her ground. Although I half expected Annie to run away that night, or worse, I ended up barricading my bedroom door and kept a grip around the knife under my pillow as I slept. But the days passed without incident. Annie went to school, walked home, did homework, ate dinner, went to bed, it was unnerving. And I told Hardin as much. I'd been seeing her more frequently as the end of the school year drew nearer. Hardin, of course, couldn't talk to me about her sessions with Annie, but she did indulge me on the topic. I went off about how Annie was a monster and how the world would be better off without her in it. I was surprised when Hardin stopped me and explained that I'd had my sister all wrong, how I'd vilified her for so long that I'd stopped seeing her as a person. This frustrated me. I'm not telling you that you're wrong to feel the way you feel about her, she reassured me. What I'm telling you is that you should try to understand who she really is. Right now, you see her as this tornado just traveling along from town to town, destroying everything in her path for no reason. But I promise you, there is a reason for everything your sister does. Like what? I muttered. Well, control mainly. It's what caused her to act out. She emphasized this with a wave of her hand. I could feel mine throb. Annie needs to be in control of not just her own life, but everyone in it. And now, maybe for the first time ever, she's losing a lot of that control. Anything can happen, and that scares her. I rejected this. That's true for all of us, and most people don't do what she does. Arden gave a nod. We're all trying to figure out how to navigate through life, your sister included. Not all of us were given the proper tools to do so. I thought about that for a moment. Did something happen to her? I pressed. Arden stared at me sadly, silently declining to answer. Well, what does she want then? Arden shrugged. These are things you have to ask her. I think you two are long overdue for a conversation. You should really consider doing that soon, especially if the surgery you mentioned does what it's supposed to do. She added with a hint of sarcasm. I wasn't sure I was ready for that conversation. If there was more to Annie, I had definitely never seen it, but I knew Hardin was right. I was tired of being afraid of her, of avoiding her in the halls and at home, tired of my entire life feeling like it revolved around her. I just wanted to live a normal life with friends, girlfriends, birthdays, family parties, sleep. I felt like I couldn't have any of that. As we reached the last day of school and the eve of Annie's surgery, I'd reached a point where I could no longer put off the conversation I was supposed to have with her. I knocked on her door after an uncomfortably silent dinner. What? She muttered. There was a lump in my throat. Can I… come in? I had to ask twice because it had barely come out the first time. She opened her door just for her body to squeeze through. What? He repeated. Can we talk? She paused, then moved out of the way, allowing me to enter. I would only been in her room a handful of times since we were kids. It looked exactly the same now as it did back then. The walls were still pink, her old dolls still sitting high on the shelf, and her closet door frame still had our childhood heights etched in the wood, something Papa used to do with us every time he'd visit. From here, Annie looked like a normal girl. I stood close to her door as she dropped herself onto the bed and looked up at me curiously. I was sweating, my hand pulsating. I heaved a heavy sigh and decided the best way to do this was to just come right out with what I wanted to say. I want to understand you better. He didn't blink. I don't think you do. I do. I, I, I don't know what it's like to be you, what goes on in your head, what you're thinking, why you do the things you do. I don't know, He explained. What do you mean you don't know? Because I don't understand myself either, she said with more force. You treat me like I'm an experiment, and I don't appreciate it. Annie, you're about to get a fucking chip put into your brain. I said shakily. She shook her head, and so did I. Talking to her could sometimes make you feel like you were the one who was crazy. I continued, you know you hurt people. I know you know that. Do you ever feel bad about it? Of course I do, she said. It was clear that I wasn't going to get any truth out of her. I don't think you do. I think you hate people. I think you hate yourself, that you're different, so you hurt people. Am I wrong? Do you even love me or mom or, or do you hate us too? She looked at me like I was missing something obvious. She got up off the bed and approached me, stopping just a foot away. I don't anything, you. I don't anything, anyone. It was probably the most honest thing she'd ever said to me. In the moment had made my skin crawl. It wasn't until later that I realized how sad of an admission this was. When mom and Annie left for Boston early that Friday morning, I'd said nothing to her. Despite my doubts in Dr. McKinnon's device, part of me was still hoping to receive a brand new Annie. With summer vacation now started and the house to myself for the weekend, I'd slept most of my time away, as though catching up on all the sleep lost throughout my life. I had no idea what to do with myself when I was awake. I'd watch TV, pace, eat, lie on the floor. By weekend's end, I'd become so bored and anxious that I did something unexpected. I went into Annie's room, sat right on her bed where some clothes had been left strewn, nervous that she'd somehow figure out that I'd been in there. I thought again about who exactly would be walking through the door when they got back the following morning. It kept me up that night. After a few short hours of sleep, I woke early, made coffee that I don't even drink, paced some more, and then waited in the same seat my papa always sat in staring at the front door as I mentally prepared myself for its opening. By that point, my mind had already been left to wander too far from reality. I'd imagined Annie bursting through to give me a hug and tell me through sobs that she was sorry for everything she'd done. It had occurred to me in that moment that we'd never actually hugged before. Not that I could remember. When the daydream ended, I hated myself for letting her manipulate me when she wasn't even around. I heard car doors slam shut, my stomach sank, a few moments later, the front door opened and they entered as casually as if they'd run to the store. Oh, hi, hon, mom beamed. Didn't expect to see you there. You dropped her bags to give me a hug and kiss and then nodded. Annie, come say hi to your brother. I wanted to puke. I could hardly bring myself to look at her. He was still standing by the door, looking bashful. Hi, he mustered. She was rubbing up and down her arm, looking more uncomfortable than I was. Hi, I replied. I finally looked her in the eyes. They looked different. A small patch of her head had been shaved, and I could see the end of the stitches running down her scalp at the edge of her forehead. Mom sighed at her silence and started rummaging through kitchen cabinets. Well, I know it's lunchtime, but I'm making breakfast. Anyone hungry? Can I take a shower, Mom? Annie wondered. Of course, baby. Just be careful. You can't wet your head yet, okay? Annie nodded and quietly disappeared upstairs. Mom waited until she was gone and then hovered beside me as bacon sizzled on the stove. They said it could take a while to kick in, she whispered excitedly. But I think it's already working. I remained silent as she continued with the eggs and bacon. Where's that knife? She suddenly exclaimed, staring at the wooden block on the counter. The biggest slot was still empty, I wasn't planning on putting it back just yet. Despite my mother's optimism, I was going to need to see a lot more. I wouldn't see much in the weeks following. Annie spent most of the time asleep, an expected side effect. He was pleasant, but quiet at dinner, uttering please and thank you, but not much else. I've been trying to enjoy summer break as much as I could, shooting pucks out in the driveway, riding my bike around neighboring towns, and even saw a movie with my friend from school. My deal with mom was that I'd stay home during the day while she was at work in case Annie needed anything. I wasn't thrilled about being left alone with her, but I hardly saw much of her at first. Just a couple quick greetings in the hallway, nothing more. Mom was frequently calling to check in, but there hadn't been any issues. Until I shot awake to the booming sound of things crashing against the walls. I ran out into the hall and stood outside Annie's door, listening as more things got slammed on the other side. She was throwing an absolute tantrum. I was about to enter, but thought better of it. Then, as soon as it had begun, it was over. Silence. When I called mom to tell her what happened, she told me these kinds of outbursts were expected. Emotional fallout, Dr. McKinnon had told her. I wish someone had told me. Going forward, I was hypervigilant. Thought I'd heard Annie through the walls one day, talking to herself. I pressed my ear against it, but struggled to make anything out. This would happen again and again, day after day. This very faint whisper among the sounds of gasps and coughs. And each day it got louder, so I stood outside her door again, lost in the white noise of the fans and air conditioners buzzing in the distance, Annie's mumbling creeping from the other door. I wanted nothing to do with her and yet I was curious, so I knocked. There was a pause. Come in, her little voice called. She was wrapped in her sheets in the dead summer heat, with only her face poking out. Hi, she whispered as I stepped in. I stood right by the door, just as I had the last time she let me in. "'Are you okay?' I asked half-heartedly. Her face immediately scrunched up in a way I'd never seen it. "'No.' She squealed as she shook her head and started to cry. I tried not to show how good it made me feel to see her suffer. She got louder, so I approached the bed. "'What's wrong?' I asked as I stood awkwardly over her. "'I don't like this.' She choked through sobs and sniffles. I don't like it. I I don't like it. She reached for my hand and kept repeating herself. I was stunned. It's okay, I said, but didn't really mean it. As I sat there holding her hand for a while, uttering fake assurances, not really caring, I wondered if the way I felt in that moment was the way she'd always felt. If so, I didn't really envy her. Later that night, it was Annie who knocked on my door. She slipped in like a cat, crawling up onto my bed and sitting there with her legs crossed. It was fairly muggy, but she was still in a hoodie and sweatpants. Sorry about earlier, she said. It's fine. It's not fine. I know you hate me. You don't have to act like you don't. I just wanted to tell you that you were right. I hate myself too, and I was jealous of everyone. You asked what it was like to be me. She began, my ears perked. It's like being a ghost, floating around, lost. You don't remember who you are or what it was like to be alive. You just exist, and nobody even knows you're there. And when they do see you, they get scared. They don't want you around, so you stay in the background and watch everyone live their lives. It's not fair, so you mess with them for attention because you're bored, beyond bored, because for just one second, their screams make you feel like you're real. You chased that feeling. I was blown away, unsure how to respond. I just sat up against my headboard in awe. The knife under my pillow was showing for a second before I shuffled to cover it. Wow, I wish you could have told me that a long time ago. But I don't hate you, Annie. I'm afraid of you. This hit her in the gut. She wrinkled her face and I worried she was going to cry again. Instead, she took a deep breath and smiled, like a switch had been flipped. Can I throw you a birthday party? he suddenly blurted. I was confused. My birthday is in two months. I know, but can I do it anyway? I, I want to do something nice for you, please. I had no idea what to think of this or of her, but she was staring at me wide-eyed and hopeful. Okay, I said, annoyed. She clapped her hands and thanked me with a giant grin on her face. Later that afternoon, Mom took Annie shopping for decorations and a cake, which felt ridiculous to me. When they returned, they kicked me out of the house for a while so they could decorate. I took a long walk around the neighborhood and even stopped at a park to watch a little league baseball game. I'd never played before and was kind of wishing I had. When I got home, I was amazed at what the girls had done. The entire kitchen and living room were lit in a multicolored glow with lava lamps, strobe lights, and glow sticks all around the room. There was a happy birthday sign hanging on the center wall, and on the table below was my cake, chocolate with vanilla frosting, already lit with a number 16 candle. They started singing and then laughing at how stupid this all was. Annie couldn't stop. She laughed so hard it almost made her look crazy. Though I wanted no part of this, I put on a face for my mother. For the first time in our lives, we were going to have a good night together, and I wanted to give her that. We had some awkward chit-chat and even more awkward reminiscing as mom told stories of past birthday parties and left out the parts where Annie had always found ways to ruin them. After having cake, Annie ran up to her room real quick and came back down with a small present, wrapped and topped with a bow, ending it to me without a word. It surprised me, but not nearly as much as what was inside. In the little box was a very familiar pin, Papa's medal. All those years I thought I had lost it, and she fucking took it. I was overcome with a range of emotions and wasn't sure which was going to come out. The look on my mother's face said it all, as she was silently begging me to not react negatively. Annie was waiting tentatively. Part of me was ready to yell at her, but when I took the pin out and held it in my hand, the rage went away. I was just so happy to have it. I gave her my best thanks, and she lunged forward, wrapping her arms around me in this long, quiet embrace. Mom washed on with her hands covering the wave of emotions that had hit her. When we settled, we ate more cake and finished the night playing some inappropriate game Annie had convinced mom to buy. I couldn't take my eye off my sister. I wanted to catch her in an unsuspecting moment, just to see if the mask would show itself. When her attitude suddenly shifted to a somber state, I couldn't tell if it was due to my watchful eye or if it was just another instance of emotional fallout. I'd heard Annie again that night, quietly crying herself to sleep. In fact, I'd been hearing it almost every night. It was becoming less enjoyable. I thought about how, if any of this was real, then it meant she'd been in a lot of pain for quite some time now. When I realized I was starting to feel bad, I caught myself. I couldn't let her fool me, and she wasn't going to give up. She'd asked me what else she could do to fix our relationship, and I admitted to her that even if her surgery had worked, it was hard for me to separate who she was now from who she was before. She understood. The very next day, she dyed blonde streaks into her hair. As the summer wound down, I hung out with her a little more. Movies on the couch, midnight conversations in our rooms. I tried to limit it, but she was like a puppy, following me around for attention. For all the questions I'd used to have for her, she'd had that many more for me. Simple things like my favorite food or who I had a crush on. She even joked about how she'd probably once known this information but didn't care enough to remember it. I was starting to get tired of playing along, so I put her on the spot and asked about the nightly crying. She seemed hesitant at first, but then she explained that she can never fall asleep anymore because images of all the pain she's caused keep her up at night. She said every time she thought she'd remembered everything, something new would pop up. I nearly rolled my eyes, but that small sliver of hope in the back of my mind made me tell her that if it were ever truly bad enough, she could just knock on the wall three times and I'd come to her room and sit with her. She thanked me with another long hug and I'd hoped to not deal with it anytime soon. She knocked that very night. On the final week of the summer, My one friend invited me to go to his family's lake house. Mom wasn't sure she wanted to leave Annie home alone yet, but both Annie and I assured her she was fine by now. I guilted mom over how I'd hardly done anything that summer, and that worked. I was gone for five days of jet skis, hot dogs, and fireworks. I told my friend everything that had happened that summer, probably more than I should have. I should have invited her too, he joked. I told him if he had, he'd probably have accidentally drowned by now. When the week ended, they dropped me back home. It was midday and mom would have already been at work. I couldn't imagine how often she checked in on Annie, but when I got inside, she was nowhere to be found. I called out, but nothing. I checked upstairs, even opened her door to see if she was sleeping. Still nothing. Then I heard the strange buzzing sound coming from downstairs. I followed it to the basement door. It was locked. I banged on it and called Annie's name. The buzzing continued. Then I heard this painful, horrific scream. I started punching the door repeatedly, shouting. I didn't know what to do. I kicked the doorknob over and over until the door cracked at the hinge. When I got it open, I skipped down the stairs and rounded the corner to see Annie with her head on Dad's workbench. She was holding one of the power drills with a drill inside her head where the scar had been unstitched, right above where the chip had been placed inside her skull. Blood was splattered everywhere. I want to go back, she shrieked. I want to go back. Annie was rushed to the hospital where she'd stayed for a while. She hadn't punctured too far, but they wanted to keep an eye on her. When she was released, Mom brought her right back to Dr. McKinnon, who was in awe over what his patient had done. He almost seemed proud as he tried to spin the incident as good news that at least the device was clearly working. Mom wasn't so thrilled. She was hoping for a way to lessen its effect on her poor daughter, to which he could only offer medication. Much like her previous doctor had said, McKinnon explained that Annie needed more time that she wasn't just learning how to live with those around her, but with herself as well. He reminded us that she was feeling her entire life's worth of guilt and shame and said that the best thing we could do for her now was to help her heal and maybe keep a closer watch in the meantime. When we got home, mom found Annie another therapist and transferred her to a new school. Annie was going to go to St. John's Prep after all. Mom had to dip even further into whatever we'd had saved, but she wanted to keep Annie as happy as possible And figured a fresh start was in order. This, in addition to the medication, calmed Annie down a bit as we got ready for the new school year. I hung out in her room with her through the final days of summer break, just to keep watch. I was told not to talk about the incident, but Annie was the one who brought it up. She'd suddenly asked me how I lived with my remorse. I didn't know how to answer that, it seemed like something for her new therapist, but I told her the best thing she could do was learn from it, to just be better today than she was yesterday. It was corny and not nearly enough, but she thanked me. Then she asked if I loved her. Not yet, I said honestly, but I'd like to someday. And I meant it. She hugged me anyway and said, I'd like that too. She was happy enough to leave it at that. On the morning of the first day of school, Mom and Annie were up and moving pretty early, which meant I too was awake. St. John started earlier than my high school, so they were ready to head out the door before I'd even had breakfast. Mom grabbed her keys off the table and kissed me as I crunched cereal. Annie was standing by the door in her new uniform. Don't forget to lock the door, okay? Mom said to me, have a good first day. Hey, the knife showed up. She paused at the sight of it. I'd finally put it back into the block that morning. It was in the drawer. I lied. Mom laughed it off and said bye. I looked up to wish Annie good luck but she'd already had her eye on me. I worried that she could tell I was lying or that she'd seen the knife in my room that day. But she was smiling. She said bye and the two of them walked out. In that moment I was actually really happy for my sister and for her new friends who'd have no idea who she used to be. None of that mattered anymore. Annie was a normal girl about to live a normal life and I was going to live mine.